This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. We are at a pause in the congressional primary season, with several major states having selected their nominees for November's general election, including Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. But in August, next month, things ramp back up, with more than a dozen states holding primaries, plus some primary runoffs from those previous states, and in battlegrounds like Arizona, Michigan, Florida, and New York. So what have we learned so far from the elections that have taken place, and what might we expect as the general election matchups become clearer? CQ Roll Call Politics Editor Herb Jackson joins us to discuss. Herb, welcome back to political theater. How you doing? <laughs> Good. We're and and uh, yes. W- at some point, we will get some Jersey jokes uh, in in there. We just uh, whether, did. We just w- did. <laughs> whether it's the uh, uh, some of the things that we shared uh, among ourselves with the the South Park uh, West Jersey <laughs> uh, thing that you showed me <laughs> that somebody had forwarded to you or or otherwise. Let's start out by talking about everybody's favorite topic: uh, money. In congressional primaries, inflation is is certainly on everybody's mind uh, on a on broader economic terms, and I can't help but think of inflation numbers when I see some of the money that is being raised and spent <laughs> in these primaries. Uh, let, what are some of your observations? Because you just went through a big trove of FEC data uh, recently as the second quarter came to a close. It's funny when you talked about wanting to do this. It's almost like, you know, we've been watching a streaming series and then the season ended and it's six months later. And now I see there's another episode and then I don't remember. So I watched like the recap of the whole season. I just <laughs> went through and read the at the races newsletters from every week this this year. Right. Uh, which I recommend everybody do and subscribe to at the races. Absolutely. Fabulous newsletter. Even better than political theater. <laughs> Yeah, we have a massive election field. There's at least 10 Senate seats that are competitive, right? And there are, right, the House map, you know, you could say there's 100 seats on it. Um, The NRCC says it's targeting 74 districts. Our friend Nathan Gonzalez has 76 districts listed in, in play, 56 Democratic, 23 Republican. So there's a lot of stuff happening. There are members retiring uh, we've seen eight uh, incumbents lose primaries already, and that's compared to four each in the previous two cycles. But of course, that does go up in years after redistricting. So in 2012, we had 13. In 2002, we had nine. We know there's going to be at least two more coming because there are member-member primaries coming in Michigan and New York. And then there's people like Liz Cheney, who you know, according to the polls we've seen, will need a miracle in Wyoming to survive her primary. But, you know, looking at the money, it certainly doesn't seem like donors have given up on Democrats, uh, which you might thought think they would have. Certainly, they are putting a lot of money into the Senate candidates in the battlegrounds. But, you know, in the, in the House, first, you know, in 
there are open seats. There are a lot of open seats. And there, the average Republican candidate is doing better than the average Democratic candidate, both in the amount raised in the quarter that just ended and also in the amount of cash hand on hand. But when it comes to House Democratic incumbents, they're doing a lot better than their potential challengers. Now, part of that is because a lot of vulnerable Democratic incumbents quit rather than run this year. Uh, so those districts are now in the open category. And I won't go into a lot of the details, but both parties had incumbents who were outraised by challengers. One notable one was Steve Chabot, a Republican in Ohio, who now has less money than his likely uh, than his Democratic challenger, which doesn't look good. And Chabot's district did not, you know, got a little worse. It's got a little lean more toward Biden. The funny thing is like when you look at the NRCC's target list, they're targeting Democratic districts, any district where Biden lost one in 2020 by 10 points or less, because the theory is, you know, in Virginia, the governor's race and the legislative races, you saw a 10 point swing towards the GOP. So they're trying to play in almost all of those districts. Some of them, they don't still, they, don't, they still don't have candidates in. But, uh, but the other thing we saw in the money is on the Senate side, there is so much money. It's unbelievable. Uh, especially, you know, the, the, the races that we consider uh, the toss-ups, the most competitive seats, which is Arizona, New Hampshire, and Georgia. And just, just to look at Georgia, where Senator Raphael Warnock has raised in the quarter, he raised $17 million. Herschel Walker, the former you know, NFL and University of Georgia running back, He's, he raised $5.8 million during the quarter. But during at the end of the quarter, Warnock was sitting on $22.2 million, and Walker just had $6.7 million. Um, that sounds like now, real money <laughs> at, a, at a certain point. <laughs> and, and that's candidate money, and candidate money goes farther in elections than super PAC money and party money because candidates for FEC rules – get the cheapest rate when they're buying airtime. Right. Super PACs pay more more open rates. Um, it's funny. I was watching Jeopardy the, on Tuesday night after, right before the polls closed in Maryland, and an ad came on put on by a Super PAC, and I was like, there's 10 minutes until the polls close. Was that really an effective use of your money telling people in Maryland to go out and vote against some guy for county executive uh, when – well, there's only 10 minutes left until the polls close. But, you know, as as you know, as we know, some of these things, they get booked and they're being booked by somebody in another state. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the money is just coming into the candidates. Both parties have found very effective ways to pump up the small dollar donor, the people who uh, get excited by something in the news want to do something about it. And lo and behold, an email comes in and it says, I'm blowing on and I'm running for this. Send me your money. Uh, and, and there's an easy way to now just put your credit card in. And the campaigns have all started to use this off the shelf platforms. It's called Act Blue for the Democrats, Win Red for the Republicans. Colors, you know, color coded maps. Blue and um, red. Blue, yeah. Shirts, shirts and skins uh, in, yeah, a, in a previous yeah. iteration. Yankees and Phillies, you know, whatever you want, you know. Um, <laughs> So we won't talk about the nationals though. Sorry. Hey, um, low blows. Yeah. 
you know, <laughs> but they all could be home run derbies, right? Um, Although the Nationals have won a World Series more recently than the New York Yankees. so Yes, that's true. Congratulations. <laughs> How'd that turn out? <laughs> We're just 20-plus uh, behind overall. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you helped all those guys get really good contracts with other teams. But I digress. Uh, yeah, so you know, looking ahead, though, we have some big races coming. You know, I mentioned Liz Cheney, but, you know, there's an, uh, an Arizona primary uh, for where the challenger to Mark Kelly, who is one of the most vulnerable senators, will be chosen. And, and you know, those kinds of races are really going to shape how this goes forward. In the races we've seen before, we talk about former President Trump a lot. His inf- influence has been mixed, right? He, he, he did help the Senate candidates in Ohio Pennsylvania and North Carolina, all battleground states. And Georgia with Walker. Yeah. And they were not necessarily, well, Walker was kind of doing okay before, but the other three were all not doing too well. Then they got the Trump endorsement and they ended up winning. Uh, But, you know, the president, former president also jumped ship in in Alabama because the guy he was backing, Congressman Mo Brooks, wasn't doing well. He jumped to Katie Britt. She won the nomination. She's very well positioned. We don't consider that a battleground district. But other people that he was going after uh, or that his supporters thought were un, you know, unacceptable survived at least their primaries. I'm talking about uh, Michael Guest in um, I mean, this is what happens when you get when so many people. Uh, Guest is uh, Mississippi. Uh, he, Miss- he, uh, um, yeah, no, the the guy in South Carolina that you are thinking of, I believe, is Tom Rice, who voted to uh, Im- impeach the former president. Drew that obviously, you know, drew uh, Trump's ire, and he he lost his primary. But you know, somebody else who had uh, voiced concerns at some point uh, over the uh, former president's behavior, uh, Nancy Mace, he you know endorsed her challenger, but she won. So. You know, again, it mixed even within, you know, uh, close by districts. So, right. And the interesting thing there was how they talked about it. Rice, Rice said, tried to convince voters he was right. May seemed to say, you know, we all support the same things. Uh, you know, so she endorsed the, the, the sort of Trump agenda, or at least what she could, she, she picked and chose what she thought was the Trump agenda. She didn't try to tell the voters they were wrong for being angry at her for that. So, and she also went to New York and and posed in front of Trump Tower to to prove you know to to sort of kiss the ring even though Trump really doesn't spend a whole lot of time uh, there anymore um, yeah, his his primary residence being in Florida now but yes right. it, yeah I mean she she did you know kind of uh, kiss the ring even if she had expressed support for you know an investigating January six I think it, it mm-hmm. was was her was her mortal sin. Um, so yeah, it, it it's it, it's interesting too that I almost feel like the it really it's it doesn't give people any comfort uh, to to not see trends, but like like you said, I mean you know Trump made a very much a difference in Ohio with JD Vance. Uh, he it's unclear whether he will make a big difference with Blake Masters in in Arizona. Uh, he made a difference with uh, Doctor Oz in Pennsylvania. Um, you know whether that will work out in the general is up. Is is up for you know discussion, and that is also dependent upon the health of the Democratic candidate, uh, John Fetterman, who suffered a stroke and is just now returning to the trail. So it's it's uh, it's not that it's chaotic, but it is kind of chaotic. Yeah, I mean, 
certainly, you know, the, the, the people like you just mentioned, Vance and Oz, they're not doing well in the money race. So Trump is not necessarily a, a, a spigot that he can turn on, or maybe he hasn't chosen to use his power to say, send this guy money. Um, we, we, we don't, I don't know uh, whether that's the case, but it certainly is, is not tr- is true that just getting his endorsement doesn't mean that you just sit, you, the, fl- the money flows in. You got to go out and try and get it. So that implies to me that he is not using his, the power he could use and, and we see this with other Senate candidates where, uh, you know, incumbents who are not up in this cycle are saying, please help Michael Bennett in Colorado or something like that. Right. Um, and then moving to the Democratic side, you know, we've we've seen some fights, uh, you know, some interesting primaries. Uh, you know, Henry Cuellar down in Texas uh, survived a very aggressive race mounted mostly because of his support for uh, limits on abortion his opposition to abortion. And he survived from, uh, and, and there was a lot of progressive money that went into the challenger to him. However, Cuellar had backing from the House leadership who went down there to campaign for him. And so in that case, the progressive wing, if you will, came up short. In Oregon, you know, Kurt Schrader lost to a progressive challenger and ha- was kind of bitter about it um, and made some comments about how this is why the Democrats are going to lose control in November. Schrader being a, you know, a more the blue dog Democrat, the, the more moderate or conservative Democrats, really, you probably should put the, put that label on them because if you got a spectrum, you know, right. those guys would be on it, on that end of it. And, uh, you know, that just doesn't play in the district that, that it was drawn for him in Oregon. So we, we, we haven't seen definitively which side that, that pendulum is swinging because in a couple of open seats, the moderate or the more establishment candidate won in a couple of open seats, the, the progressive one. I know that in Ohio, they tried to rerun a primary that was for an open seat. It was Marsha Fudge's seat. And then the candidate who won last year won, re-won the nomination in a rerun of that primary. So we've... Rewon and a rerun. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try not. Uh, I got it out once. And then the last, the, the last primary that we should talk about was Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina. Oh where, yes, let's was, do. <laughs> he was. This is this is you know in the content in the lens of Trump. Trump put out a statement right before the primary. People had been voting for two weeks already, saying you should elect this guy. Come on. He had he had previously endorsed him too, but he didn't do any real like you know like go there and try and pitch him. And, but this guy had problems, you know, even the Republicans in his state had turned on him and he had originally uh, among started- them. Yeah. Talked about cocaine fueled orgies that he had been uh, invited to uh, here in Washington by uh, his, his colleagues in the house uh, got caught with uh, trying to take a gun onto an airplane a couple of times, I guess uh, got caught speeding. But, but his real crime was when they first drew the map in North Carolina, there was a really very Republican seat that wasn't in the mountains where his district was, and he decided to run there. Uh, and then when the court threw out that map and put a more uh, you know, Democrat-friendly map in place, he came back and ran in his own district. But people had already been running for his seat. And, you know, and he had not, you know, this, the guy won his first time. He was, wasn't even 25 yet, but he was he would turn 25 before he was sworn in. So he was very young. 
he he had not established really any kind of like base, if right. you will. Uh, and and that's the interesting thing is in some of these races, candidates have actually been able to use an established base more effectively. Yeah, it it does seem like the you know people who are you know, seeming to enjoy a, a certain level of success in, in again, or sort of a chaotic time and at a time that's awash with money and advertising and, and so forth that those who have, who already have relationships, you know, with their constituents, like somebody like Fetterman in who's the Lieutenant governor of, of Pennsylvania, Tim Ryan in Ohio, you know, Nancy Mace in South Carolina. I mean, th- these folks are, you know, they're doing well, or they're able to weather, you know, some, some storms, Henry Cuellar too. I mean, Cuellar also had the, the, the issue of the FBI asking him questions about some of his, uh, you know, some of the way that he managed money. Uh, and, and again, his, his, he's been there a long time. His constituents know him and, and he was, you know, probably able to lean on that in a way that somebody who's in their first term is not able to. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I will quote Nathan Gonzalez again. It's just candidates matter, you yeah. know, how, how, how they use their time, you know, what, what they say when they get the questions, what happens when the unexpected thing happens uh, and how well they handle it. That's what's, that's what's fascinating about this, this election is that there's so many people and maybe it happens more often than I'm paying attention to. So many people who, this is just like, Hey mom, let's run for office, you know? Uh, <laughs> And because they, they, everybody else is doing it, you know, and, and again, with the, the ability to tap these large sums of money, you know, it's not a bad way to spend a year, you know, uh, you could, you can, you can give yourself health insurance. You can, you know, your, 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 your travel is covered, your food, you're not supposed to use it for personal use, but there are ways they can make events. Everybody's got to eat, right. You know, everybody's, everybody needs bottled water. Uh, yep. And, and and things like that. And what it comes down to also is given the right circumstances, and th- I don't think this is a cynical necessarily uh, view of politics, but under the right circumstances, it really doesn't take that many people to elect someone, uh, particularly if it's an overwhelmingly Republican or an overwhelmingly Democratic seat, which we're seeing more of. We're seeing fewer swing districts. Uh, you know, if you win a primary, which usually, you know, people don't turn out in, in droves uh, in primaries in the way that they do in general elections, you've got a pretty good shot at being in Congress. You may only be there a year <laughs> or, or two, sorry, uh, for, for a term, but it's the barriers, it seems, to to getting elected are, are, are shorter, and, uh, but, but staying there is another thing. <laughs> Especially yeah. in in the, in the kind of times that we are finding ourselves in. So before we bid adieu and prepare for uh, go to the the ramparts for what will be a very busy August uh, for the politics team uh, and busy for all people involved in politics in general. Uh, what are some of the just the kind of the weird or the odd things that happened? I, this is always a good way to uh, sort of uh, put in put into context the, just that. There are some things that we know, which is that, say, the president's party has a tough time in his first midterm, and and that is that is bearing out. Whether that means Democrats will lose their majorities, that that is remains to be seen. But certainly, it would be better to be a Republican uh, right now than a Democrat. So we know those sort of truisms are somewhat holding. But what are the things that we just couldn't foresee <laughs> that that we have observed so far? Because there there have been some some weird moments uh, in this primary season. 
Well, I, I will say that one of the fascinating things when you look at this across all the states is people think they understand democracy and every state has its own idea of democracy. I mean, it is fascinating. Like Alaska is trying this thing where the top four candidates win the primary in, in you know, when there was 50 people running, including a guy named Santa Claus for the open seat after Don Young died. And then those four run against each other. And then that's going to be a ranked choice election. So it's entirely possible that the person who gets the most votes doesn't win because if they don't go over 50 and everybody else's second choice is someone else, the, the, the numbers will switch. Math. In Texas, <laughs> you mentioned you win the primary, you usually, you know, you're safe. I mean, in Texas, you can lose the primary. The, 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 the guy who lost to Van Taylor or the guy who trailed Van Taylor in the Texas was put into a runoff against Te- Van Taylor in Texas, suddenly became the de facto congressman because Van Taylor admitted after he got through the primary and, and was in a runoff that he had had an affair with a woman who was known as the ISIS bride. And it basically meant he was going to resign. Um, <laughs> but then you have like Oklahoma is having a special election to fill a vacancy that isn't vacant, right? Jim Inhofe, Senator Jim Inhofe says he's going to re- resign in January. They're having an election this year to fill his seat. I'm still not sure how that can be hap- happening. And then you go to Nebraska, all right? So you have Jeff, Jeff Fortenberry uh, gets convicted. Uh, he was fa- Well, he's facing criminal charges when he's up before the primary. He gets convicted. He announces he's going to resign. But he's still on the ballot in the primary. So he gets 9,500 votes that they throw out because he can't get voted because he's already withdrawn, right? Then they have a special election to fill Jeff Fortenberry's seat for the remainder of this term, but they use the map for next year. So the guy who won and is now sitting in the House of Representatives was elected by constituents who he can't really represent because the House rules say you can only do constituent service for the people in your district that was drawn for the 2020 election. Okay. So these are, <laughs> these are just like, and, and, and it, we, we called around a report. Chris Chaffee called around to, and nobody in Nebraska thought this was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, what, what office just said, well, we'll let the Senator's office handle those people. You know, it, it's, it's just, you just sit there and say, this is the United States. You have all these lawyers running around screaming about, you know, Clause 7 of this 1875 law says, you know. But stuff like this is happening in these states. And and it does not mean that these people are illegitimate. I'm not saying that in any way. But it's just, it's different the way states say we were going to run this thing. Uh, you know, and, and that's that's just what what blows my mind sometimes. Looking at these elections, in some states you can win in a can, in a race with twelve candidates, you could win with fourteen percent of the vote, right? But in other states, uh, you know, fifty percent plus one, yeah. you need fifty percent plus one, or there's a runoff. I mean, and that's one of the reasons there's a Democratic Senate right now. You know, is David Perdue got more votes than John Ossoff in 2020's November election? But he didn't get over 50%. So when they went into the runoff in January, he lost. (laughs) And and that was just like, maybe he lost because Donald Trump had told all his supporters, it's fixed. Don't vote. (laughs) 
Well, uh, I, I can't think of a more fitting way to wrap up a political theater uh, podcast than with, with those uh, bizarre things. And, and hey, like I said, we've still got Florida to go and my home state of Arizona and, and New York. And New York. Uh, so, New so York, we'll see. We're, we're, we could go on vacation. We could go on a cruise around the world before they finish counting the votes in New York. Just watch. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, we, we will, uh, in the meantime, get a little rest, uh, before the, uh, uh, maniacal primary, uh, season that awaits us in August. Um, but thank you, Herb, for, for running down this and, and I I hope we've perhaps illuminated the situation. Not, we certainly didn't make sense of it, (laughs) but we've, we've talked, uh, we, we've given people a, a clearer picture, uh, even if it's a clear picture sort of of mud. (laughs) That's some good mud. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you, Herb. And thank you out there for listening to Political Theater. Political Theater.